I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. I have a voice. Yeah, it's back. Last week, I didn't have a voice. I just, I stopped talking, talking. so much. Yeah, yeah that, that works. Uh, with me, as almost always. It's Gary Michaels here. Good and, day, good day. And then our other almost always. <laughs> Jordan Parisi. Jordan Parisi. So we've got like an official, uh, the, the three of us, so hopefully we can cover a lot of hockey territory here and ask right. a lot of uh, knowledgeable questions. I just uh, I was told a long time ago there are no stupid questions, but there are stupid people that ask questions, and I think I fill that role most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, that sounds about right. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited because uh, going back to the Sully Golden Eagles, there was there was a mainstay, and uh, it was their trainer was Brian Pataffi, and we're lucky to have Brian on the show. Brian, how are you? You know what, Jay? I'm doing great, and anytime I can talk to somebody from. Uh, from the Salt Lake area, I'm doing that much better. So it's great, it's great connecting with you again. Well, I appreciate that, and I I know that you honestly feel that way because we're we're friends on Facebook, and I follow you on Twitter and Instagram, and you you talk all the time about how much you enjoyed your time here in Utah. And uh, what years were you here? I uh, got there in 1988, the first year Calgary came in. Uh, the year after uh, the Wayne Thomas led Golden Eagles, the Green and Gold uh, Eagles uh, won the uh, Turner Cup. And then we came in the next year, changed into the Calgary Colors with Paul Baxter and Bobby Francis, and we won the Cup again that year, and that was uh, the 88. And, uh, and then uh, I left in, uh, well, when Calgary left in, uh, in 93. And um, so I was there for six seasons, and uh, uh, happiest time of my life uh, when I got there and the saddest time. Uh, and and you know this because I've 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 said it over and over again. The saddest time was was leaving there. Yeah, and 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 you know you've written a couple. You've you've got two books. You've got one book that's on the market now, and one that's about to come out. And and you talk mm-hmm. about that a lot, and you talk about that on on Facebook. And I love it because you know we have some diehard Eagles fans here, and you know the Eagles were around for a long time before that, but it seemed like that Calgary, uh, those that era just seemed to really solidify the fan base here and we still have a ton of people that remember those days and remember and Chernamaz and and the impact that Theron Fleury had on this market in like mm-hmm. the two months or you know he wasn't altogether yeah. he wasn't here that long but man the impact a guy like that had on this market and just grew yeah. the sport yeah, no. Let, let me interject here. You're saying he wasn't there that long. He lived in my basement on 9800 <laughs> South, 927 East. He was here a long time. Okay? Or he was there a long time. So how long did he live with you? He actually uh, came in at the end of the, uh, you know, the end of his junior year and lived there. And, um, and, uh, and then the next year, and he was gone at Christmas. Uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, um, I introduced him to was Scone Cutter. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, 
and fry sauce. Oh, like, yeah. like we had never had fry sauce in Canada. And and I remember one time pulling through Sconecutter um, after an Eagles game, coming home because they were open late yeah. and getting some fries. They give you this little uh, tub of stuff, and I said, what is this? And they go, that's fry sauce. And I went home and tried it. And if you could marry fry sauce, <laughs> I, would have, I would have proposed that night. Yeah. Uh, and then Theo, then Theo, I got Theo introduced to it. And uh, it's funny because Theo would come in some nights at 2, 3 in the morning. Um, you know, if it was an off night, maybe he'd been down in Wendover, maybe he'd been wherever. But he'd come in 2, 3 in the morning, I'd be sound asleep. And he would stand in the hallway and he'd rattle the bag. Okay, and I knew it was a scone cutter bag, and I'd be up out of bed, and we would sit in the living room and talk for hours, eating fries from with fry sauce from scone cutter. Oh, did man. you get the spicy fries? Oh, uh, they. You know what? They they might have been. I. You know, I can't remember that part of it. All I do know is that every time Theo and I connect, we mention scone cutter. No so way. It, it's indelibly printed in our mind, and, and, and like, I need to get a life when Scone Cutter <laughs> is, is a highlight of, of you know, of, of my time. I, I cannot tell you how much I love to hear that, because uh, funny. the funny thing about Scone Cutter is it was, it was one of my best friends, the best man at my wedding, Terry Warner. It was his dad opened Scone Cutter. He invented Scone Cutter. It actually, he started making scones yeah. out of his dorm at the U. He was on a football scholarship at the U. Started making scones, wow. and they're like, hey, you can't make scones on campus. You can't do this out of your dorm. We're gonna... They kicked him out of school, and he opened Scone Cutter. Yeah, there's still one what? left. Right? Yeah, there, I think there's, there's a couple left. I was going to yeah. say, I don't even know what a Scone Cutter is. No. Oh, man. No. So, oh, 90 of South, oh, just know, off the freeway. You haven't lived yet. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's good. Yeah, you haven't lived yet. Honey butter. Coming honey to butter Canada stone? saying... You've never had poutine, oh. you know. It, 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 <laughs> like, like it, 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 you know. Jordan, have you oh. had have you had fry sauce? I it's just ketchup and mayo, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> well, I mean, when you say it like that, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it's a big deal. It's, you got to have the right, right mix. recipe. Yeah, okay? you got to have the right mix. Yeah, you there's know? a science and, to and, it. And, it's not just yeah, ketchup and mayo. Is. Yeah, there's yeah, love. And, there's yeah. love involved. It yeah. is amazing, though, and, you, I, I, and Utah altitude. Yeah. yeah, I admit it is amazing. Yeah. So I've got I've got another I've got another fry sauce story, and this it's kind of a weird deal. So Jason Bakashua, who had, was like a first round draft pick from the Dallas Stars and was assigned here, and he stayed with he stayed at our house until he found a place to live, and uh, I took him to training table for the first like that was the first meal I took him to in Utah. Oh yeah, and I'm like they're like, hey, would you like fry sauce? And I asked him, do you want fry sauce? He's like, I, I, is it extra? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, you just you just got a 1.3 million dollar signing bonus, and you're asking me if the fry sauce is extra. I'm like, I'm gonna spring, oh. I'm gonna spring the 60 cents and buy your fry sauce. But then he always bought, then he always had it. He loved the fry sauce. But I could not believe a guy with 1.3 million in the bank was worried about the extra 30 cents. That'd be frugal. Well, he's just a later day Brian Deasley. Okay. <laughs> Brian wow, that's a name from the past. Well, and I've got I've got to tell you this story because I, I thought I was in trouble, uh, but but actually, let me tell you what happened. Brian Deasley got a two hundred fifty thousand dollars signing bonus, plus he was on a one way contract in Salt Lake City. He shows up with a candy apple red vet and a, and, a, and a bleach blonde girlfriend. Okay, so like he's got all the money in the world, right? And um, but he you know he had one problem: he couldn't play. Okay, he, he was just he couldn't play. 
So about three months into the season, he comes into the training room, and there's about six guys sitting in there. Richie Chernemaz is one of them, and uh, and Stewie Grimson's another. And 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 uh, Deasley says to me, he says, Pataf, he goes, I'm having a hard time sleeping at night. I said, well, give some of the money back. <laughs> well, he it was a quick phone call to his agent. He walked out. He made a quick phone call to his agent. An hour later, I get a call from Cliff Fletcher. Now, I, I must tell you, when Cliff Fletcher was a GM in Calgary, every time he would call, he would call you on speakerphone. And uh, like what we talked earlier before we went on uh, on the podcast here, it sounds like he's calling from the bottom of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so anyway, he goes, Pataf, Cliff Fletcher. Well, he didn't have to introduce himself over the phone. He's the only guy I ever talked to on speakerphone. And uh, I said, yes, Cliff. He goes, um, I got a question for you, and I want you to play out the whole scenario that happened with Deasley this morning. And I said, well, Cliff, you know, I I apologize, sir. I I am sorry. He goes, I didn't call you for an apology. I want the whole scenario I heard from his agent. So I tell Cliff the whole story right down to the, you know, hey, why don't you give some of the money back? Then I hear this laughter. He's got the whole hockey staff up in his office because they just thought that was the greatest line they had ever heard. I'm thinking I'm getting fired, and they just want a comedy show. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, you're always good for a comedy show, though. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, uh, anybody who does what I do for a living for 41 years, they've got to find some humor in what they do. Yeah, so. for sure. So 41 yeah. years, man. So yeah. how did you get into it? Well, in um, 1977, 78, my final year of uh, university, I was uh, studying to become a physical therapist. And I was getting my uh, PT degree, my bachelor's and, and uh, my PT degree. And at that time, hockey teams, the WHA was still around, and hockey teams were hiring educated guys to be their athletic trainer, and they were hiring equipment managers. They were no longer hiring the guy that couldn't make the team or hung around the <laughs> rink or whatever to do both. And and you know what? No disrespect to those guys because, you know what, they worked hard and they did a good job. But, you know, the salaries were starting to creep up a bit. The WHA was putting a lot of pressure on the NHL to spend more money on their players. And they wanted their players better taken care of. So. I got my PT degree and, and, and uh, my athletic training certificate in Canada, and I said, you know what, like, like I'm, this is what I'm going to do for a living. My father was livid. You know, I took a job in uh, Utica, New York, my very first year, 1978-79, in Utica, New York, and that's where they filmed the part of Slapshot where the players got in a fight in the warm-up. They, uh, they called it Peterborough, but it was Utica, New York, where that was filmed. And um, so, you know, this was after the film and everything, and I, and I went to Utica and took this job. I was getting $230 a week plus a soda pop machine that I could put in the locker room and make money off of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and then it went from there. You know, I just, uh, you know, kept trying to move up the ladder. Told myself if I wasn't in the National League, by the time I was 30 years old, I was going to get out of the game and go into a private practice. And when I turned 30 years old, I moved to Salt Lake City. 
And you know what? I didn't go to the National League. I went to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I so, love that, man. I love that. What, uh, you what? know, like, 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 and this isn't a, a snow job. You know this, Jay, because even when I ran into you at P-Hacks a few years ago, I, I, I told you when, when you were working for that, uh, the sporting goods company, I, I told you then, I said, my goodness, I miss Utah. Yeah. I miss Utah. And, and it just like, like, it, it was, you know, it, it was just a good, like, I went, and, and you got to understand, I went from Utah, where you could get all kinds of culture and learn all kinds of stuff, to St. John, New Brunswick, and uh, when they moved the team there. And in St. John, New Brunswick, the only way to get culture is to go to the grocery store and buy yogurt. You know? So, <laughs> so, so I mean, I, I just, I loved Utah. Yeah. I loved it. No, and, and having guys like you here that appreciated being here, at, and I, I don't know if you're following what's going on. There's there's so much to, Well, actually, I do know that you're following what's going on because I saw your little argument the other, uh, with McCluskey. So um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of talk back and forth about uh, Utah going to the AHL and why they are, why they're not, uh, and, yeah. and actually Utica's coming up. But it's when, when people start talking and, and you get a lot of people that say, oh, nobody wants to come to Utah because of this or that and that. But then you have guys like you that have been here that came from other hockey markets. So they're like, Utah is top secret, one of the best markets to play in because, you know, it's, it's a big market in a small market. And you've got, you know, you've got mountains, you've got everything you want. You want to be, a, you know, it's, it's. And you're treated and you're treated like a big leaguer. Yeah, like like you know what? Like we came in and the Jazz were in their heyday. They went to, they went to the finals a couple of years, uh, you know, uh, uh, a couple of years in a row while we were there, and we weren't on the back page of the sports. We were, you know what? I mean, the Jazz obviously they're a major league team, and they and they you know they command that, but but we were getting really good coverage, like excellent coverage, and and I remember a beat writer with the Deseret News. Um, traveling with us during the playoffs, and and uh, you know, and then uh, I remember Mike Rungi when he was on TV, uh, no. you know, before he took over as our GM. You know, he's always uh, uh, promoting the Eagles. Well, and I say promoting, it's not it's not a uh, reported job to promote the team, but I've always said any press is good press, even bad press is good press, you know, because your name is getting out there and you're creating a brand and, 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 um, branding now, like, like today, um, uh, it is, I mean, that's, that's everything about everything, you know, and whether you're in the British Columbia hockey league, like I am, or whether you're in the national hockey league, I don't know if, if you've really realized or noticed, but after the lockout where the, the NHL locked the players out for the full year and they didn't have a, they didn't have a season at all that year. The next year, when players were doing interviews, they were wearing a ball cap with their team's logo on it. They weren't pushing Joe's Car Wash or Flexall or, or you know, they, there were no side deals going on. You know, I remember when, uh, uh, when I was in the NHL and we were in Edmonton and Dave Gagne got told by our PR guy, CBC, Hockey Night in Canada, wants to interview you between periods. So Dave goes under and stall into his equipment bag, and he's looking, he's looking, looking, and he's yelling at our equipment guy. He goes, Bobby, I don't have my Louisville hat, because Dave got paid for wearing a Louisville hat, Louisville slugger hat, yep. uh, if he did an interview. And, and he goes, Bobby, you forgot to pack it. And I came out of the training room. I said, I said, Gags, I said, we left right after practice yesterday. I said, you guys packed your own bags. So our equipment manager 
and uh, and uh, the PR guy first they went over the Edmonton room. They didn't have one, so they spent the afternoon at the West Edmonton Mall, going into a place equivalent to Lids. And, and buying a Louisville Slugger hat so Gagne would do his interview. Otherwise, he wasn't going to do the interview. Wow. So that all stopped after the lockout. All the, the freebies, you know, and, and things like that, the free advertising. You, you're going to advertise You're going to advertise either the NHL logo or your team logo, and that's it. I used, to, I I used to be one of the guys making those side deals. <laughs> okay. As, a, as an well, equipment rep, and Jordan knows because I tried to get his brother to do it a lot, as a... Well, and I try to get you to do it when you're in North Dakota. I would go and and be like, "Hey, wear this T-shirt when they interview you after," because that was part of my part of my job. But yeah, I, I didn't notice that they'd eliminated that. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember going to Al Coates, who was our GM in Calgary, when I was up there, and I said, "Al, I just got a call. I ordered Flexol. You know, you remember the Flexol? Oh yeah. Uh, the I said, Al, I just ordered Flexol, and I gave him a PO number." And they said, "Oh no, no, Brian, we got to talk to you." And I and 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 so I said, "They told me that I get all the flex all I want free, plus I get a fifteen hundred dollar check at Christmas and a fifteen hundred dollar check at the end of the year as long as I keep our guys in flex all t-shirts and hats." <laughs> and and I said, "Well, what is this fifteen hundred dollars for?" And they told me it was a consulting fee. I said, well, what, like, what do I have to do, write up protocols for you? And they go, no, no, you just have to make sure your guys are wearing our T-shirts in interviews. And this is before the lockout. So I went to Alcoach because I didn't know if this was kosher. And I'd spent my life trying to get to the National League, and I didn't want to get fired over fifteen uh, or over $3,000 total. Right, you know? right, right. And, and, and Coachy said, so we're not paying for it. And I said, no. He goes, then take it. You know, <laughs> it's good for you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and so... I'll tell you, I had my whole family in Flexol shirts. <laughs> you know, yeah, my family used to be disappointed at Christmas when I was in the National League because, you know, they get things like Flexol shirts and Flexol hats <laughs> and and, and um, uh, sanitary socks and stuff like that. Whatever I could get for free. Kids knew in Calgary if they came to my door on Halloween, they were getting either chewing gum or a puck. So. <laughs> That's nothing wrong with that. You got to do what you got to do. I like it. It's like those race car yeah, guys, though. Yeah. You know, they're all decked out in all the logos. Yeah. Right? Oh well, look, I spent two years working over in Europe, uh, in Frankfurt, and uh, in the DEL too. And you want to talk advertisement? They they've got it. And I, I, you know, and I'd seen pictures on, you know, they had advertising on the pants and everything else. And I said, man, I'd hate to be an equipment guy over there trying to sew that on. Well, it's all Velcroed on. The pants. Uh, CCM and Bauer make their European pants that have Velcro in those areas so that they can Velcro on these ads. Well, and then even uh, even, I, even all my uh, all my goalie gear, like they would, it wasn't anything. Nothing was Velcro, but they would just have like this rubber cement that they would basically put on the entire front part of your equipment oh. and then just yeah. slap some logo on top of that or else they would completely take you know for my blocker they would completely take the entire front panel off you know the leather stitching and everything and then yeah. stitch in the uh, the uh, whatever logo whether it was you know oh, a jewelry yeah. company <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah yeah it was amazing it it uh, you know and and uh, and it's funny because um they they had these things for the goalie paddle and, uh, and and we were advertising. I can't even remember the company, but we had a short goalie, and the whole thing wouldn't fit. So I cut it. But I didn't realize I had not only changed the spelling 
of of uh, the word <laughs> in the ad, but it was profanity that was on there. And I got the owner coming down to me during the game, and he goes, nine, nine, nine. <laughs> and I go, no, he wears 30. <laughs> that's awesome. So, that's, that's, uh, now, that's the Brian Patafia I know. Jordan, didn't, uh, you, tell you. didn't you try to fight that? Like, you, you snapped the first time they were putting... Well, it was, so my first team that I went to go play for was Red Bull. Yeah. And so, like, I had my oh. New Jersey Devils helmet, and they were like, hey, we're going to paint over that. I'm like, no, there's no way that you're painting over it. And next thing you know, like, they took my helmet and painted it. and It looked like a Red Bull can. <laughs> it looked like a Red Bull can. I remember you were <laughs> so... Like, so were, were you Red time, Bull in Munich or in... In uh, uh, Salzburg. In, uh, in Salzburg. Yeah. So please tell me Pierre Paget wasn't your coach. <sighs> he was my coach. That was oh the downfall goodness. of my career. <laughs> oh, you know what? I can get you the copy of my prescription that I had to take after four years with that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that, that is an entirely different podcast. But there's so many players that we could bring on this right now for a Pierre oh. Paget podcast. But, oh. um, yeah, it was, uh, he was definitely an interesting cat to, to play for. He was a guy that he would ask you questions. Like, for me, he came up and, and brought me in the locker room one day, and he's just like, Hey, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about our defensive zone and our penalty kill. I was like, yeah, perfect. And he started saying, you know, we do this. What do you think of that? And I'm like, ah, well, you know, I, I would prefer if we played, you know, our defensive zone, if we played more of like a zone as opposed to a man-on-man. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 it sounds good. And, and uh, then asked me about our penalty kill and told him a couple things on that. And he's like, yeah, 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 sounds good. The next day, nothing was changed. And Pierre stopped talking to me for the rest of the season because he felt as though I was against him and against his teaching. So then all of a sudden he was trying to find reasons to not play me. He wouldn't. Sp- it was the craziest deal, and I kept watching him do this with other guys on the team. And all of a sudden guys would just like sit randomly. He's like, yeah, I went and talked to Pierre. I thought the meeting went great. Next thing you know, I'm sitting for a week. Wow. Well, I, that is nuts. I'll, I'll tell you, when we, we were in Boston. And we're at the top, we're on the top floor of the Copley Plaza. We're having dinner up there. And Pierre thought he would be, uh, you know, he'd get all psychological. And he goes, you know, guys, I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) He goes, I got a hundred one dollar American bills in my hand. Now, I could throw these out the window and make maybe one person on the ground happy or possibly make a hundred people underground happy. And Theo Fleury goes, why don't you just jump out and make everybody? <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> I don't know. The, I don't oh, know he, that's awesome. I don't know the guy, but I got a pretty good picture of him now. <laughs> well, how do you yeah, handle oh, that, no. Jordan? How yeah. do you how do you well, handle that situation when you're in there? When, when your coach is doing things like yeah, that, what, what do you? I mean, ultimately, do? I didn't resign there. Right. Um, you know, we it came to the end of the season. It came for negotiations, and uh, the kind of the way they do it in Europe, like, oh yeah, you know, just go home for a couple of days and then get back in touch with us. And then all of a sudden, I start calling back, and none of the lines work. No, well, you know, yeah. and then you know, so that was kind of the way that he worked. He he, he threw this bait out there to see if you were with him or against him, and uh, if you were against wow. him or not even outwardly, just you know, he would throw these little psychological games at you and. If you didn't go the the appropriate route, like he would, you know, exile you. It was, it was the strangest things, and and I know that uh, even in I want to say it's Fleury's book, he he talks a lot about Pierre and uh, just some of the weird things that he would do. And there was a, and I, this isn't a bash on Pierre no. uh, conversation, but you know he would. There was definitely times where 
he would kind of take advantage of the fact that there were rookies on the team and he would kind of go after them and make examples out of them. And, 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 you know, I got to witness this firsthand. And the next thing you know, you, you go and you watch different videos of, of, you know, back in the day when he was a coach for uh, the Quebec Nordiques. And he's sitting there just tearing a strip off of Matt Sundin when he was a rookie. And Matt Sundin ended up, you know, he was a legend then and then became even more of a legend. But, like, that's what he would kind of do is go after those young guys and kind of, you know, make them. It, it was just, it was a bizarre, bizarre situation. So ultimately, I, you know, didn't have the opportunity to resign there. Right. Man. That's... But you know what, and, and, and the thing is, and that's not an anomaly in, in, uh, with European teams. I'll tell you, I was in Frankfurt, and, uh, and um, instead of going back the next year, I was going to go to Ingolstadt in the DEL. It was, as far as I'm concerned, I was moving up a league. It was, you know, the money wasn't going to be that much better. It's just a better league. Right. And um, so I thought I did the right thing, would do the right thing to tell the, the uh, owner with a month left, uh, you know, you're on the nine-month contract. So I told him the first of April. Well, not only at the end of April was there no paycheck in my bank, but I showed up at the airport and my plane ticket had been canceled home. <laughs> oh. you know? Yeah. Wow. So, so now, you, okay, so you stand in the Frankfurt airport and buy a ticket at the uh, – <laughs> At the at the at the uh, gate, not at the gate, but you know at at the at, you know at the airline thing there, and 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 try buying a ticket and try getting an Expedia price there. It right. ain't happening. Right, right. Yeah, oh. I dropped nineteen hundred euro on my uh, credit card. Yep. Um, and uh, and I, I got back to uh, North Carolina. My wife goes nineteen hundred euro. I said. Yeah, I said, I'm taking him to court, so I flew home first class. I said, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, fortunately, Germany is, um, uh, they are uh, employee-friendly. Definitely. Okay, so, I mean, it did go to court, and um, walking up the steps of the courtroom, to the courtroom, my uh, lawyer, and I bought lawyer's insurance when I went. I'd never heard of such a thing. But when I got to Germany, Rich Turnemat says, hey, buy lawyer's insurance. I said, what is lawyer's insurance? He goes, if they screw you here, your lawyer covers you. You're not paying him. He covers you. And I go, well, how much is it? He goes, 25 bucks a month. I said, okay, you know, for 20 or 25 year old month. So I bought lawyer's insurance. So my lawyer is walking up the steps of the courtroom. I'm, I'm here in Chilliwack, British Columbia, and I'm on WhatsApp with my lawyer, right? And, uh, and, um, they're walking up the steps and Stephen Kramer says, oh, so he says, listen, he said, I owe him 4,500 euro and his plane ticket. I pay that right now. And my lawyer goes, have you read this book? And he's showing him my original book. He goes, yeah. He goes, I have. He goes, you don't want to read his next one. <laughs> and, uh, and Kramer goes, what you mean? He goes, there's probably 50 pages dedicated to you. And it ain't free. <laughs> <laughs> I walked with 20,000 euros. <laughs> See, yeah, and, and, and that's a good... Uh, that's excellent. You know, Germany, it's good that you brought that up because Germany was definitely on the fairer side with making sure that players were taken care of. Uh, my brother, yeah. and you'll, you'll appreciate this, Brian. My, my brother was playing with um, Peter Sikora with the Devils. And this was during that lockout period or the year after the lockout period. And so what ended up happening was Peter Sikora went over to play in Russia and, you know, signed a good deal there for a couple million or something and then came back home. And the team still owed him like $700,000. And 
Peter Sikora, you know, called the team and couldn't get a hold of the team, finally got a hold of the team and said, hey, you know, and this is over in Russia, or he was in the States and he was calling Russia and, and uh, the, uh, whoever he was talking with, the manager, the general manager of the team in Russia, he says, hey, uh, Peter says, hey, you know, you guys still owe me a bunch of money. And all that he heard on the other line was, come and get it. And then a click. <laughs> 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 wow. <laughs> wow. So it was yeah. a little bit different in Russia and in Germany. But, uh, oh, yeah. 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 So, so I, uh, I'm yeah, not going to uh, go get it. I'm not. No, no, I'm going to get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get Probably my deductions. Right, right. I'm afraid of even I, when the telemarketers call from Russia. I feel like it, it's a life or death <laughs> call, you know? Oh, there's no way. Yeah. That's crazy. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Brian, how long have you uh, been with Chilliwack, by the way? Uh, it's my second year here. Second year, okay. And, uh, and uh, this is, um, is going to be it for me. I mean, you know, at my age, I'm 64. I tried retiring in 2015, and, um, and it didn't work. You know, it just didn't work for me. I went back to North Carolina where, uh, you know, my wife is from and, and, uh, and you know, just tried hanging it up. And, and um you know, it, it, uh, you know, I had a pension coming in from Calgary and, you know, I, I was in a good situation financially, but mentally, uh, I did not handle retirement well. And I think my wife used the best analogy when she said, you know, you're like a prisoner that just got let out of prison after 30 plus years. You can't handle the outside. You got to go back in, man. Yeah. You know, and, and she was right. And I said, well, you know what? The kids are seniors in high school now, and I don't want to move them again because she's a trooper. She moved with me, and I was a bit of a nomad after my Salt Lake days. And, and, uh, and um, she moved everywhere with me. We had kids, you know, and, and uh, she said, well, why don't we just do um, where you take a job and we'll come and visit periodically in your home in the summer. I said, okay, I'll do that. That, you know, if you're okay with it. So a couple weeks later, I went to her and I said, look, I, uh, I uh, picked up a job. And she goes, where? I said, in Frankfurt. She goes, Frankfurt, Kentucky? I didn't even know they had a team. <laughs> I said, no, it's in Frankfurt, Germany. And she goes, well, I guess we're not going to drive to see you, are we? <laughs> you know? She thought I'd go like a Charleston, you know, a couple hours down the road or even, you know, even somewhere in Florida. But, uh, but Frankfurt, you know, the, getting to hook back up with Rich Chernomaz and work for a guy uh, Paul Gardner was coaching over there. You know, I had fun. I had a lot of fun. And they wanted a North American trainer. And, and I, I'm going to tell you what happened my first week over there, because you'll appreciate this. 
Okay, and this is how the German culture works, and I love the culture in Germany, but this is how people think. So four days into our first week, we're playing our uh, a, a opening game in Beatingheim. And so we're into Thursday at practice, and the equipment guy says to me, and we call him an equipment guy, but he couldn't sharpen skates, and he wasn't allowed to order. Wow. So I had to order I had to sharpen skates. He was more of the grunt worker, you know, but he called himself the equipment manager over there, the betroyer. So he says to me, he says, uh, good luck in Biedingheim tomorrow. I go, well, what do you mean good luck? He goes, oh, I hit 40 hours. I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> like, legally, they can't make you work more than 40 hours a week in Germany. Yeah. So he had hit 40 hours. So I, I said, no, no, you're coming. And he goes, nine and every time somebody say nine, I'd think of Bobby Hull, you know, or Gordy Howe. Nine. And that's another story. But anyway, and I'm going to share that story with you in a minute. So anyway, I go into Paul Gardner. I said, Guards, Renee told me he's not traveling tomorrow. He had 40 hours. He goes, you better go talk to Cherno. So I go down to Cherno's office. I said, Cherno. Renee tells me he's not coming to Beatingheim tomorrow. He's already hit 40 hours. And Cherno goes, have you not monitored him? I said, monitor him? He goes, yes. He goes, when he throws in that first load of wash after practice, you're supposed to send him home. Because he'll sit there and watch the wash go around and around and around and watch TV. And he goes, and add his hours up. He goes, you've got to monitor him so that you have him on the road. Well, I'm, I'm going, Cherno, you never told me this. He goes, if I did, you'd have never come over. You know? <laughs> so anyway, I, you know, I go solo to Beatingheim. Then the next week, you know, Renee would get the jerseys, the practice jerseys thrown in, and I'd go, go home. <laughs> and I said, nine my rear end. And I didn't use the word rear end. But, you know, I said, go home. And so that's what I was doing all week, all week, all week. So now... I've, Cherno had ordered the first, and I want to tell you about nine. Cherno had ordered the first order of sticks for everybody, and then it was up to me to order from that point on. And so I call our CCM rep because we had uh, a, a contract with CCM, and I call the, the rep, and he's in Austria, and um, he goes, uh, "Oh, stick order. You can, you know, you order half dozen, nine or twelve." And and I said, "Okay." I said, so, I said, give me the, uh, let's go through the ro- roster. And he goes, Hannibal Weitzman. I said, nine. He goes, Florian Prosky. I said, nine. He goes, Mike Card. I said, 12. Brett Breitreuth, 12. Tim Shula, nine. And I went through the whole roster. So, anyway, he goes, so you want... 24 total sticks. <laughs> I said, no, I just gave you the, the order. He goes, yes. Hannibal Weitzman, nine. <laughs> Brody Frosty, nine. Tim Shula, nine. I go, yeah. I said, we're already at 27. <laughs> How? I go, you know. So he's not getting it. He's thinking I'm saying no. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm saying nine. I said, okay, let's start over. He goes, okay. Hannibal Weitzman, 12. Florian <laughs> Frosty, 12. I didn't care. I, 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 you know. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love it. But, so. Uh, well, my German was, uh, was very limited, you know. And, um, and uh, even after 
you know, the year, the first year over there, it was still very limited, um, you know, but I, uh, I knew how to say good morning and uh, Donka Shane. Yes. And every time, yeah, every time I'd say Donka Shane, I'd, I'd break out into the, the song. <laughs> of course. You know, the Wayne Newton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how we learn it. So tell us, yeah. you know, it, it was, uh, well, first, I, w- I want to talk to you about the huge impact you had on me in Salt Lake because, and I, I don't know if you remember this, maybe you do, and I know I've, I've, I may have mentioned to you when I used to, because I was an equipment rep for 12 years, 15 years, something like that, mm-hmm. and I'd run into you at your trainer shows every year. And uh, for me, when I first got out of here and I was going to Shattuck St. Mary's, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I had horrible equipment. And they were kind of like, "Hey, look, I, I was getting pretty, pretty dinged up." And they're like, "You're not. You're, you clearly can't stay here because I had the old brown Cooper leg pads, and I had a ter- I had a terrible chest pad that was a two piece. I don't know the old two piece that had the yeah, yeah. the cotton. I remember that. Yeah, and a baseball chest pr- protector. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was just getting like deep bone bruises to the point where the the trainers there were like, "Hey, you, you can't play. You got to figure something out." And I came home. Yeah. Because I, I was there for the summer, and then as, right as school was getting ready to start, somehow I got in touch with you. I'd never met you before, and you were like, look, we're, you took care of me. I, you had just got back. Somehow we got Sean Burke's Olympic leg pads. Yeah, like, the Bryants. Yeah, the Bryants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got you gave me that pair of the full set of Sean Burke pads, and that's what I wore when I went back there, and then I ended up only staying at Shattuck for a couple months, and I came back to Utah, and I wore those pads. I wore those pads for probably the next eight years until well, I got to and, a school that could afford to pay for equipment for me. But that was the difference well, between me remember, making it and not making it is finally getting equipment. Well, you know, and I, I really appreciate that because, you know, hearing that, is, 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 it's pretty gratifying because I remember um, Mazzotti was the one trying the Brian's equipment, and they sent it. And, uh, and, um, they, then they, they said, well, just, just keep it, do something with it, whatever. They didn't want it back. You know, they did back then. They, you know what? They, they, the, the companies were, were unbelievable. Some of the stuff that they would, uh, they would drop in and, and, you know, um, uh, it was probably well documented, uh, you know, our first few years there that Art Teach was losing a ton of money running that team. Yeah. And fortunately, with the Calgary connection and, and the connections we were making with equipment companies, we were getting stuff sent in there left and right and not being charged for it. You know, a lot of sample stuff and stuff like that. We had to remember the Albany Choppers lasted like three months in the uh, in the uh, IHL, and they, they, they phoned on their road trip in, they go, we can't get sticks. And and we supplied them with sticks when they came in because we just had a ton of sticks that the companies were sending us to try and coerce. Like, Cherno was a Sherwood guy, and he wasn't changing, but, but Coho or Canadian wanted him, you know, in, in, in their stick, and they'd send all these samples, and Cherno, no, I'm not interested. You know, so they went over to Albany, you know, to, to that team when they came in, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we just had a pile of equipment in there. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm glad something like that, you know, uh, that helped you out. And, and uh, I know there was a, a couple other guys there, too, that used to get sticks from us, or we'd sharpen their skates yeah. and, uh, and help them out. And we, we really tried to get involved in, the, uh, in minor hockey there. I remember 
you know, uh, a couple of the players running camps over at Cottonwood and Cottonwood Heights and then out in Bountiful. Those were the only two other indoor rinks at the time before the Olympics came in. And, uh, and I remember spending, you know, a ton of time there. And if the Jazz played on a Monday night, uh, then we practice in Bountiful at 8 o'clock in the morning. And if they played on a, uh, you know, on, uh, on a Wednesday night, we were at, uh, you know, Cottonwood. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, uh, and then none of us played on Sundays, which I thought was great, which, which I don't know if it's still like that in that Utah is... with, with the Jazz, or, 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 but, but nobody, nobody, back then, nobody played on Sundays. And, and, and if we were on the road, that was, a, you know, a different kettle of fish. But you know what? It, if we were not on the road on Sunday, we knew we had that day off in, in Salt Lake. And, and it's, was, uh, it's pretty much still like that, yeah. The, the Grizzlies usually typically have Sunday off, and the Jazz typically have Sunday off. And uh, yeah. it's, that's nice. It's a good day to catch up, for sure. It's a good family day. Oh, yeah, yeah. It really is. It really is. So, so tell, tell you know, me about what you remember at the end because like you talk about it a lot in your book about the heartbreak and then the mistake you thought of uh pulling calgary out of salt lake and well well here was the thing cliff moved the team there and um you know when he moved the team there the 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 canadian dollar was at about 60 cents so you know uh and but he knew it going in but he said you know what it's a wash because we got our guys in the same time zone we can call them in the morning and have them up here that night, you know, like, like, and it happened a few times. I remember Steve Gannett uh, right. going up, like, we were having morning practice, and we'd get the call, and he'd be on a flight at 1 o'clock, and he'd be in Calgary by 3, and he'd be backing up that night. You know, Daryl Olson, same thing. Cherno, uh, Patty LeBeau, Todd Harkins, all these kids, you know, and, and, and it was going great. Then I'm going to tell you what happened uh, in my mind, and, and um, first of all, um, I, I am a, an advocate for Larry H. Miller when he bought the team because if he didn't buy the team, we were done because, because Art, Art just didn't have the money and Calgary didn't want to own their own franchise. They, they didn't mind paying players. They didn't mind paying training staff to be there. They did not want the day-to-day operational cost. And if they did, it was going to be in Canada because of the value of the dollar. So Larry buys a team, and everything's fine and dandy for the two years he had it at the Salt Palace. Well, then he's building, going to build his own arena. And, and, and I got to do what every trainer in the world would love to do. I got to be in on the design of our locker room in the Delta Center. And oh. we have a locker room that knocked it out of the park. I'm sure you remember it, Jay. I'm oh, sure yeah. you've gone through it. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we had a player lounge, huge coach's office, a whole bit. The trainer's room was to die for. I had Pioneer Valley Hospital outfitting the trainer's room with all their equipment. Uh, you know, we used the, uh, the sports medicine center out there. And, and, and then Larry, you know what, Larry spent all the money that needed to be spent. We had a sauna that held 24 guys, <laughs> 24 guys, like the whole team. We could have held a meeting in the sauna, you know? So... Anyway, Riseboro comes down, and he walks through the facility, and I'm all proud, and he's upset. He looks at Tim Howells, and he goes, this isn't how players are supposed to pay the price in the minors. Uh. And I look at Doug, and I go, Doug, how, how much did you play in the minors? Well, Doug never played in the minors. Right. He might have had a game or two with the, the, the Montreal Voyagers when they played out of the forum, but uh, but Doug didn't have any you know uh, any amount of time in the minors, but he thought the players should be paying the price. 
Well, they were paying the price financially. On the 15th and the 30th. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? and, and, and so that's it. You know, you, the, at, at the time, it was the difference between 60000 and 600000 yeah. and And the gap's even bigger now. But he did not like the fact, you know, and he called it a country club. And we were only in the Delta Center two years. So they start negotiating with a group in St. John, New Brunswick, to move the team there. And, and I'm livid. I am livid. And I will tell you, um, I got a phone call with about four months left in our season from Mike Milbury, who was the GM of the uh, Islanders then. Yeah. And he goes, Brian, uh, and I knew Mike. I'd run into him before when he used to be with the Maine Mariners. And uh, he goes, Brian, he goes, I hear you're doing a good job and you just love it there. I said, I said, this is the greatest place in the world. And he goes, well, between you and I, we're putting our farm team there. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And, and he, goes, um, he goes, I'd like to offer you the position. So I said, Mike, I want you to be honest with me. I said, I want you to be 100% honest with me. And he goes, there's no other way to be. I said, are you offering me this position because you think I'm a good trainer and I've made an impact here? Or are you offering me this position because I'm already here and you're going to save a crap load of money <laughs> not moving somebody here? He goes, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm not I said, I'm not interested. You know, At least he was honest. I'm not. Huh. Yeah, 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 he was honest. You know, and, and that, you know what, like, say what you want about Mike Milbury. He'll tell you what's on his mind. He oh, yeah. will tell you. you know? <clears throat> yeah, it definitely and seems so, to be that type. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and then, uh, you know, I, I um, uh, and, and I mean, you know, the team lasted one more year. And then, you know, whatever reason, for whatever reason, you know, De- Detroit bought it. And, and um, you know, so regardless, even if Detroit made me part of that, you know, move, uh, it, it uh, I, I would have been heartbroken just a year later. Right. But, you know, everything leading up to it was so clandestine. And it was really, and then Al Coates would come down and tell me, oh, you're going to love it in St. John. Oh, you're going to love it in St. John. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to love it in St. John. I grew up in the Canadian Maritimes, and the reason I got an education was so I didn't have to live there. <laughs> um, you know, there was, uh, I was going to ask you a question on, you know, because when I was in the minors uh, in New Jersey, Lou Lamarillo like made it a point to uh, the team was just being moved to Lowell from Albany and I think that they had just purchased uh, for their coast team the Trenton uh, Trenton Devils Trenton Devils yeah and so I know that Lou like went out of his way to make sure I'm gonna I'm gonna make this as great of an, an experience as possible I mean we didn't neither team won games but like he went right into Lowell and put you know a couple million dollars into that arena so that we had our own little section uh, make yeah. sure that the everything was upgraded, updated, everything was perfect. You know, he never, he was one of those uh, general managers that didn't want to get pigeonholed into any of those AHL rules that made you use CCM gear or sticks. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so he, he was always, I mean, if, if you talk to anybody that has ever played for Lou, it's, everybody will tell you the exact same thing. Like, the only thing that he cares about is his players. And that's well, the one and- thing that I loved about Lou. Um, and I, and before I add, and I don't want to cut you off, but I was going to ask you as kind of like a uh, as a segue to this. Out of all the organizations that you've been to or been with, what has been like the best experience for you? Whether it's in you know the the American League, the NHL, you know, over in Europe, what have you enjoyed the best? Um, 
when Cliff Fletcher was the GM in Calgary, and he put the team in Salt Lake. Uh, by far, um, uh, greatest experience. I, I love the cultural experience going over to Germany and, and reconnecting with, a, with our captain from Salt Lake. You know, I love that. But when Cliff, when Cliff was the GM in Calgary and put the team in Salt Lake, you know, and uh, Cliff and Lou Lamorello are cut from the same cloth. Just for example, uh, I was in Moncton. That's where Calgary had their farm team in the AHL. And my contract was up in my third year. And, uh, and then they were moving the fourth year to uh, Salt Lake. So I figured, you know what, Cliff's going to make a business decision. I'm just a trainer. And Cliff called me up. He goes, we're going to make an announcement. And I knew they were going to Salt Lake. He says, we're going to make an announcement in two days. He said, I, I just want to make sure that you're okay to move with us to Salt Lake City because I want to make that part of the announcement. Well, I was like, floored. Like, this guy's going to move me to Salt Lake. And, and, and I go, absolutely, Cliff. I took the job here in Moncton, you know, to work for the Calgary Flames. And, you know, because I, 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 if the Calgary Flames aren't in Moncton, I don't want to be in Moncton. So anyway, out of his next breath, he goes, okay, I'm going to call you the day of the announcement. So they make the announcement, and I don't hear from them. But they did say that I would be going. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I was going to be one of the, you know, people from Moncton that was going to Salt Lake. Well, then it was two days later, he called me. He said, sorry, I was supposed to call you. He goes, Pataf, um, he goes, financially, it'll be better for you to buy a place in Salt Lake. You can take your, your interest off your mortgage. Uh, you can take it off your taxes. Tax-wise, it's going to be so much better for you. I said, Cliff, I said, um, as much as that sounds great, I, I don't have any American money to put down on a place. He goes, oh, okay. Find out what you're going to need to put down. That's going to be your signing bonus. He goes, I, wa- I, said, awesome. I want the minimum. He goes, don't, don't come to me and say they want 50% because I know you're full of, you know. <laughs> so anyway, right. I called Diane Teese, who was Art Teese's daughter, and she was a realtor. And I called her and she said, you can get in for 3% down your first-time buyer. I said, okay. So I called Cliff, and I said, 3%. And, uh, and uh, back then in Utah, you could get a nice house for $60,000, like oh, a nice house. Crazy. And I told Cliff that. He goes, if you find a $60,000 house that you're happy with, I'll give you 15% to put down on it. Cool. Well, wow. I found a $60,000 house in Sandy, and I was very happy with it. And, and Cliff, to his word, you know, that was my signing bonus. And then he gave me a $2,500 move-in allowance in case I had to change a carpet or put up a fence or whatever. You know, nobody does that anymore. I was just going to say that. You don't hear about, you just don't hear yeah. this anymore. Yeah. But you know what? I, I've talked to, to guys in the Jersey organization, too, and, and, and my, my experience with New Jersey is my first year in Augusta, Georgia, uh, New Jersey had a secondary uh, uh, working agreement there, and um, we had a kid named Henry Cooster who blew his ACL, and we sent him up to Jersey, and, uh, and um, Henry said, I want the doctor in, in Augusta to operate on me, and I want to work with, with the trainer there and do my rehab there. And Lou and uh, and I can't remember the trainer's name from Jersey, but but and and he knew me from my time in Calgary, um, 
But anyway, Lou and the trainer called me and they said, Henry's, you know, wished to do this and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and I said, yeah, I'm more than willing to work with it. And I know Dr. Duncan here will do a great job with him and everything else. He said, well, will you keep in touch with us? And, and, and I, you know, and I did. And, and I got a nice letter from Lou at the end of the year thanking me for the work I did with Henry. And, but Lou kept it. You know, Lou would call Henry. Henry never played a game in Jersey, right. but he was part of their part of their organization. Yep. You know, I know which, no, you don't see that anymore. When I got hurt, I mean, the the first thing that Lou did was uh, ask me, you know, and and tell me, hey, just so you know, the best hip surgeon in the world right now is is in Vail, Colorado, and uh, he flew me there first class and uh, put me up in the Four Seasons for two weeks, and you know, all my rehab that I had to do there in Vail, and you know, it was, uh, you know, just an he he just did everything properly. It was he didn't was, he fly your mom out there too? My mom and dad, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's amazing. And and those are those are the feel good stories. And those are the those kind of things are what keep guys like you and I coming back. You know what I mean? Like 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 uh, many people told me. You know, you're not going to see that again. You're not going to see that again. You know what? I'm seeing it out here <laughs> at a at a different level in Chilliwack. Um, they built a program out here. They they want to do it right. Um, the uh, the gentleman that owns the team also owns the building, so we're not like a redheaded stepchild in here. You know, the <laughs> right. bad device, and and we're never out of the building. We uh, Jay, you've seen I posted pictures of our locker room, and oh, yeah. uh, you know we've 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 got a we've got a big league setup here. You know, player lounge and. You know, and and, and uh, a, a video like a video theater, that the whole bit—it's amazing. Yeah, it all looks and, amazing. Uh, it looks like you're just happy yeah. there too. I love it. Well, you know what? Working with teenagers, I'll tell you, it's a, it can be a challenge. I it bet. can be a challenge because you know there's there's, there's things that uh, that uh, we as adults sort of just kind of take for granted, and you know, like like I, I'm I'm amazed because in pro hockey, if the game's over at let's say five to ten. Uh, the athletic trainers usually leave in about 11.30. You know, guys are rolling out, uh, flushing, riding the bike, whatever. And you're usually out of the building by 11.30. I, here, I'm, I'm in my car at quarter to 11, and I'm going, where did everybody go? You know, <laughs> and, and, like, you have to train them. You have to go, guys, we play tomorrow night. So, no, you're not, you're not running out the door. You, you know, you're not going home to play Fortnite for four hours. You've know? <laughs> you got to do this, this, and this. But the, you know what? They, they love the fact that, you know, I, I only had a, a cup of coffee in the National League. In fact, I didn't even have a chance to add cream to that coffee. But um, they <laughs> love to hear the stories. And Brian Kilray told me a great story on my second go-around in Ottawa. He goes, you're in the National League for three years. He goes, you got 15 years worth of stories from there. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's true. You know, it's just like, like – uh, oh yeah, maybe it did happen in the American League, but oh, we can make it. <laughs> you know? yeah. All right, Tass, we're running out of time. I I want I want to give you an opportunity to tell us about your book that's about to come out. Okay, well, my new book coming out, and uh, and it's funny because uh, young uh, Domi uh, took the same title for his book, No Days Off. Uh, but um, my publisher wasn't giving up the title. We came with a subtitle much as we did with my last book. My last book, I sit down and look at pro hockey through a trainer's eyes. This one's No Days Off, The Story of a Hockey Purgatory. Now, this book gets 
in deep and, and talks about, you know, issues in the game that I've had to face, you know, i.e. Like, like Germany and stuff like that, you know, internal stuff. That, you know, guys worked this 40, 40 hours and stuff like that. But um, it was set to come out December 15th, and the first part of December, I got on the phone with the publisher because there is probably three or four chapters where names are named, and um, and and you know I said some things that were like they were honest, but you know what I I don't want to be that guy that's going to get have a guy blackballed, lose his job, whatever. Right. So you know what I said no no I said no, and the publisher said to me Brian, look at what your uh, my first book came out in November. He goes look at what your January residual check was because you know. <laughs> At the Christmas rush and everything, you know, this is a $20 book setting on an end cap up by the cash. People were buying it, you know. Yeah. He goes, you're going to lose You're going to lose money. I said, I don't care. I'm not going to lose my integrity. And I know this might sound like lip service, but you know what? I've seen things that guys have done. You know what? They're going to face a bigger judge than Brian Pataffy. Right. You know? And then they're going to answer to him. Right. Okay. So they, you know what? So you know what? No, I'm rewriting some of the chapters. There was a little go back and forth about it and stuff like that. I said, well, then we could just cut all that out. Well, there'd be gaps in the book, you know. So no, so I'm re, I'm doing a rewrite and and finally, you know what? We're all on the same page. So we're hoping the end of April, and if not, it might be Christmas again. But uh, but again, like like you know what? Bill Peters lost his job over something that happened years ago, whether it was right or wrong. And um, the, the, the difference, in, in, in I, 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 I'm not an evangelical, but the difference between me when I was in Utah and me today is um, I have the Lord in my life. And Jesus said, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. Okay? So, you know, we've all want to do over somewhere in our life. And... Um, so, you know what, I'm not going to be responsible for another Bill Peters or, or uh, you know, the equipment guy in, uh, in Colorado, uh, right, Colorado right. With, yep. you know, with the AHL team. No, no, not, not me, not coming for me. I've made, a, uh, I've made a living from this game. I'm not going to make a living cutting this game apart. That's awesome, know? man. I, and I, I totally appreciate that. And, and that, that speaks to your integrity and... I, I get that we all have made mistakes, and it's in this cancel culture, as they call it now. It it's tough because you never know what's going to come out. Like, what stupid thing do you did you say that somebody remembered twenty years ago that could get that you know that could cost you your job now? So, yeah, I yeah. pretty much know yeah. that I'm done from yeah. some of the things that I said twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, so well, you know what. We we can build a commune in Tooele. You know? <laughs> I want to do a, just real quick here. Um, so Brian, I've I've never met you before, but uh, I do know how incredibly hard you guys work, and you kind of have like a thankless, you're just, you, thankless job, and and you're kind of the unsung hero that's behind the scenes of everything. So um, greatly, I've had some amazing trainers in in my time that really just are behind the scenes. They don't want the limelight, uh, and you know they they just never get thanked. So. Uh, on behalf of all of us players that are done or current, you know, thank you and thank all of your, you know, your, I guess your group of guys that, that take care of all of us. 
Well, you know what? I really appreciate that. And when you hear it from a uh, you hear it from a player or an ex player, it, it it just means that much more. And uh, you know, you've got some pretty good uh, NHL DNA in you, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I really I really appreciate that. And um, you know what? We're all kind of in this brotherhood together. And uh, and um, you know, if 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 I was a player. I'd be retired now. So I, I think I got the best job in hockey because the the big joke here in Chilliwack is they carry an empty stick bag on the road because they may be bringing me home. In it. <laughs> well, Brian, you've been amazing. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. And thanks for helping getting my start so I could have this amazing career as an e-bug and then a podcaster. It wasn't exactly well, the way I planned it all out, but it's uh, it's more than I deserved and more than I ever thought I'd make it to. And, again, that the start comes from you just making a – Simple phone call and helping me out, so I appreciate it. And, okay, uh, uh, likewise, and I appreciate you having me on. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys in this game, but this is fun. Once uh, once you got this up and running, let me know, and uh, and I'll share it on my Facebook page. Perfect, we'll get it out. All right, that was the Utah Puck Report. Thank you so much for listening. The Utah Puck Report is a KSLSports.com podcast, and uh, if you haven't subscribed yet then you can all you got to do is text the word puck to 57500 and you can also catch us online too at kslsports.com and right there at the arrow website 1035theArrow.com. that's awesome and uh, we want to thank josh tilton our producer he's the one that keeps us in line keeps the things rolling and he doesn't roll tape as you would say he does not but uh, he does he does produce the show in all the digital ways so once again thank you so much for listening to the utah puck report yeah,